Welcome to Humans of Fintech, the show that tells the stories of diverse leaders who found belonging in our industry, so you can too. I'm Nicole Kasperson. In this episode, I sit down with Curtis Lin. He's the CEO and co-founder of Pinwheel, which specializes in income, payroll, and employment-related APIs. In this episode, Curtis and I discuss the uncomfortable and inevitable truths about Asian excellence and how it has shaped him as a fintech leader. We talk about his own personal reflections on struggling to fit in and finding a sense of belonging, and the inspiration behind Pinwheel and how it creates a more equitable financial system. Kurt is honest and real, and we have a lot of fun on this episode, so I really hope you enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Curtis Lynn. So excited to have you, Kurt, on the show. I have known about Pinwheel and you for some time. I've seen you speak at events and all the things. So just excited that we finally made this connection and brought you on Humans of Fintech. Thank you for having me, Nicole. Uh, I can say the same thing for you. Been excited to talk to you for a while now. I'm glad we finally get a chance to do so. Yeah, well, to dive right in, like any good Asian kids. Our backgrounds are, you know, fueled and shaped by our parents. So I think they would love to hear that. But tell us a little bit about yours, you know, your, your personal story and just that huge influence that it does have on, on your fintech career. And um, we can just start there before we dive into the connection with Pinwheel. So I grew up in the Bay Area in Cupertino, folks know where that is. Actually, a few streets down from Apple HQ, which at the time was actually, I think, Sun Microsystems in Java. Um, but grew up the uh, as one of two children. I have an older brother of two Taiwanese immigrants. I'm sure many other Asian Americans can relate. When you have parents who are immigrants who came over to this country to basically build something from nothing, you learn very early on, right, that like nothing is ever kind of given and you have to like earn everything for yourself. And so I think that was that kind of like work ethic and mental model was just like ingrained in me as a kid, for better or worse. Like I, I think all my friends will tell you straight up that like I am one of the most above the most competitive person that they know. And you know, it's like, oh well, is it just because like I'm a competitive person or is it because I'm a byproduct of my environment? And you know, growing up I had to, you know, fight and claw for everything the same way that my, my parents did. And I, I would like to think it's a bit of both. And especially to that end to, I know you and I had discussed this uh, before we started recording, the Asian American experience, uh, not unlike I think other folks who come from other backgrounds in the States, especially in the era when we were growing up, is one where you are constantly fighting for assimilation and I think even more broadly acceptance, right? Like I grew up in a predominantly uh, white neighborhood and I went to a all guys Catholic prep school where the majority of people were white as well. And so it was just this constant desire to be the best at whatever you do so you can fit in. Exactly. Right. It was like, okay, well if I'm the best at chess or I'm the best at this sport or I'm the best at, I actually was a huge nerd and played a bunch of Starcraft, but even in that domain, right? Like if I was, I was the best at this that I could finally be accepted, right? And right. be part of the community. And I think that's a lot of what, especially early on, you know, drove me to really kind of just like always want to do the best at whatever I did. And I think it's also kind of a very common theme I've since also learned 
from a lot of other founders too, growing up with immigrant backgrounds as well. So I think those are a lot of the kind of like formative experiences that I had uh, growing up. How cool is it that, <laughs> and we never realize it as kids or even as young adults at, at the time, but these are kind of like, I'm learning even just through this podcast and meeting more and more fintech founders and, and leaders in the space that it's like almost this like prerequisite. It's a, a very helpful one to building a fintech company. And it's kind of the uh, premise of humans of fintech is that, you know, we are people who, regardless even of our different backgrounds, didn't really find a sense of belonging career-wise, whether it be regular traditional finance or traditional technology, or in my case, it was like traditional coverage of the finance industry, and none of it felt right or none of it felt like it it made gave me any real value. So I love that kind of connection, I guess. that, Like I said, it feels almost like, dang, maybe uh, having like an, an immigrant parent, uh, having to have uh, instances of like, oh, how do I find my own version of belonging? Uh, that seems like one of the secret sauces to kind of making it in the fintech space because you're creating for a larger community that has never gotten a chance to fit into the traditional financial system. We have this value internally that we call the underdog mentality. And it's actually a play on the fact that our company's legal name is actually Underdog Technologies. And we named it that very uh, largely because a lot of, like me and my two co-founders are all second generation and so that was kind of very core to our identity. And I love hiring people who have a chip on their shoulder, who have something to prove because at the end of the day, like they're just, they're just going to go that extra mile that other people are unwilling to. And those are the people who end up changing the world. Right. And so I don't have exact numbers on this, but I'm, I have a very strong feeling that some of the most successful operators and, and founders are the ones who come from a similar background because it's you, you really feel like the need to kind of leave your mark. I like to think, and I, I just went through a work retreat where I got to learn about my work strengths. And my number one strength was achiever. I wouldn't be surprised if you and a lot of the other guests I've had. <laughs> See, that's funny, right? I did the same thing. I was like, are you serious? <laughs> and, and of course, it's like strives for excellence, like doesn't like mediocrity, works best in a chaotic environment, like all these yeah. different things. And I was like, cool, cool. So I guess I'm in the right place. Um, the coolest part about that strength, though, was the, there was a, a line in there in the description that talks about how like all of that, though, leads to like wanting to leave the world a better place. A big part of my experience growing up was seeing my parents interact with the world around them. And one of the really big things, in fact, there was a a large part of the impetus for why we decided to build Pinwheel is that, you know, one of the things that's really kind of central to most East Asian cultures is this idea that carrying debt is anathema to being a good person, right? Like you don't spend what you don't have and carrying debt is actually like seen as like a very shameful thing. And so I remember growing up, my dad was always just like, well, remember, don't ever spend what you don't have. And like, you know, for every dollar you spend, make sure you put like 90 cents of it away into like savings. And I was like, that seems kind of egregious. Like, I, <laughs> I'm like, I just did this chore. I just mowed the lawn. Like, I want to go buy candy. Why do you, what do you mean? I have to put like 90% no of this away. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> no fun, only sweet. Yeah, yeah, literally. Uh, actually, I remember my mom showed me this chart on like compound interest, like when I was a kid, and I was like, at that time, didn't really understand what it was. I just saw the number get really high, and I was like, I, I get where this is going. I'm just not entirely sure how this works. Um, <laughs> one of the like earliest memories that I had, I remember walking with my dad to go uh, with him to the bank to get a mortgage for the first time. And at, at the time, I was too young to really understand what was going on. But growing up, you always kind of think your parents are invincible, right? Until one day you realize to them that they're not. And I remember he was going door by door trying to get a mortgage and kept on getting rejected place after place after place. And I could see for the first time that he was like truly visibly frustrated and, and mad. And that always stuck with me because I was like, what, why did he crack? Like, like what happened that to make him feel so down about the whole thing and so helpless really and as i got older i connected the dots and realized that the system especially the financial system doesn't fundamentally work for a lot of people uh, including people like my dad and we as i started to kind of explore the space more realized that it's because there's just fundamentally uh, not enough information and data out there to actually help bridge the gap for the banks, the lenders, the now fintechs that actually be able to make much better decisions and actually help people who, who are deserving of it, right? Because it wasn't like my dad was incapable of, of paying for the mortgage. He had all the uh, assets. Like he, he was actually a responsible borrower. He just, they just didn't have the data to say, yes, like we, we feel comfortable giving you the money. Maybe this is the moment or that memory or that feeling that stuck with you seeing your dad like that would you say maybe that's when you felt like fintech would be the place you'd find your sense of belonging or, you know, maybe take us back to that, that moment in time when you were like, all right, fin fintech's it, you know, from, from kids driving to excellence to, you know, founding your own and being this, you know, the, the leader of your own. I've always had an affinity for working on products that actually meaningfully improve the lives of the folks that actually use them. And I feel like so much of tech is really only serving the people who already are in a position that don't actually need a lot of help. Um, and so it's almost like optimizations for the high-end segment of, of consumers versus actually helping the folks who are on the other end, right? And especially in fintech of all places, you can so tangibly see that the work that you do actually meaningfully helps people especially those who, who need it most. Uh, and being able to wake up every day knowing that, I think it's just like, it is where you really find uh, your belonging and your purpose. I am, despite his political views, I actually am a huge Kanye fan. Musically, musically. Same. <laughs> I, I believe same. you can separate art from artists. And I recently watched the, the Yeezus documentary. And one of the things that, really struck me is there's this line in the second episode that is belief is the fuel that powers your purpose. And I think about that all the time because I feel like if you really believe that the work you are doing is actually making the world a better place and you can actually see that proof in front of your eyes day after day, that's the fuel that keeps you going. Every day, right? That's what gets you out of, the, out of bed every morning and gets you excited to keep building. I agree. It's finding the, I, the space where, and I think this is why we're seeing a lot of folks leaving Wall Street and leaving the traditional finance realm to join a fintech company, to join even crypto, right? Despite all of its things happening right now. And I think the pandemic fueled this a lot, right? There's this, I would rather like help the world 
if I'm going to spend all this time working, which we all have seen can be taken from us in, in the blink of an eye. And so why not do it and put all my energy and efforts into something that that matters and actually helps people and, you know, just more than just make the rich richer. And so I, I love that kind of transition that that we're in and we're feeling the, the movement and obviously even seeing like the dollars pour into the space. Was there anyone in particular that kind of was like, you know, that drew you into the fintech space or, or that like that story or moment? What did that kind of look like? The first piece is definitely that realization that the system was fundamentally broken for people like my dad. And then more broadly, I think um, just largely folks who are underserved. I think much like a lot of other folks, you don't necessarily go into this thing like, oh man, like I want to work in fintech. You kind of find your way there because it draws you. And so we actually, my, we as in my two co-founders and I, were originally trying to build a what we called an automated HSA. But I'm sure a lot of folks in your audience know uh, HSA, aka a health savings account, is this really interesting tax advantaged account where you can put aside money from your paycheck. And if you do so, you can use that money on medical expenses and you don't have to pay taxes on it. So you save somewhere around like 30%, give or take, on any medical expense in the form of what is basically like a federal discount program. Now, the issue is that for the majority of Americans who live paycheck to paycheck, they don't have the cash flow to actually pre-fund the, these accounts and actually use them. And so they can't take advantage of these discounts. And it's often those folks who need that money the most, right? Especially for folks who are living on the margin. That's the difference between being able to put food on the table or be able to pay for that flat tire or what have you. And what we realized is we could actually solve that problem for these folks by inverting the utilization model. So that sounds really jargony. Uh, <laughs> what that basically means is like they would connect their spending accounts. We would monitor the account. And then whenever they make a qualified medical expense, we would go in their payroll system and make sure they still got their tax savings added to their paycheck. So uh, no effort automated HSA. Pretty nifty idea. At least we, we, we thought it was. Um, we brought it to market and then started to have this problem where every customer was like, oh my God, this is really cool. We want to use it. Do you support... ADP or paychecks or Workday or all these other payroll accounts. And we'd be like, uh, no, we have this, you know, pretty janky beta uh, that only works with a couple providers. And so we were spending all of our time not actually building product, but just building integrations in the payroll system just to make sure that people could actually use our product. Um, and at a certain point, we're like, look, like there's got to be something out there that allows us to connect into these payroll systems and more broadly, these income sources, because locked within them is all of the valuable data that folks actually need to build the future products of the financial system. Things like who someone is, how much money they make, where they work, when they've clocked in and clocked out of their shift, like all this really valuable data, right? The data that in fact would have actually helped my dad be able to uh, get a mortgage, right? And we looked around and realized that no one was building this. And so we basically just built it ourselves internally just to power our own app. And then one day realized after talking to just so many different fintechs, everyone was just like, we are, we need the same thing. Um, we had this aha moment where we realized that we could make a greater impact at scale and really live up to this mission that we had set out to achieve by sunsetting the HSA app and really focusing on the infrastructure layer instead. So that's how we got to where we are today uh, with Pinwheel. So today, is there anyone in particular that you would throw a little credit to that maybe helped you find 
this niche and this place and this moment that kind of made you find this, you know, success that, that you're in now? The person that I want to most shout out is actually my co-founder and also someone who I consider to be a mentor as well. So my co-founder, Curtis, was formerly the co-founder and CEO of a company called Lux, which people in the Bay Area might remember. It was um, in the middle of the on-demand era. It was um, uh, an on-demand valet parking app. And I actually joined him there at Lux before launching Pinwheel with him. He's been such an exceptional... Like one, I, I saw him as a role model as a, as a fellow Asian American who was, you know, farther ahead in his career and like just kind of gained a collective, a incredibly impressive amount of collective experience around like what it was like to be an operator in this startup space, what it was like to, to be a great leader, what it was like to be a fellow second generation, you know, immigrant, like going through this process. He's just been so helpful every step of the way. It's like almost having like a cheat code sometimes, right? Yeah. Like, it's like a lot of first-time founders I talk to are like, I've never seen this before. I've never seen that before. And I'm like, I haven't either, but I can just be like, hey, Curtis, like, what do you think about this? What did, like, what, what, what did you do when you did this? And it's been uh, such an incredible experience. And I'm infinitely grateful for his partnership and the fact that he's been kind of there uh, supporting me every step of the way. So um, if you listen to this, Thank you, Curtis. I appreciate it. <laughs> I hope he listens. Uh, life hack: just have your 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 mentor be your co-founder. Apparently, you know. Yes, find, exactly. Right. Well, they say it like fine. It's so funny, right? Because I think there was maybe once a time in in culture where you you wanted to be the smartest person in the room, and now it's like, uh, uh-uh, I definitely do not want to be the smartest person in the room. I don't want to be the smartest person among the people helping me build something. I want to, you know, work with people that I think are lightning years ahead of me that are way, way smarter than me. And and I want to learn and build with them because that's only going to make me better. So I feel like that's what you did. And that was like secret sauce. And I think it can be really easy when, when you're trying to build something in any capacity to like operate in a, in a silo and think you can, it's all on you. And, and it's like a lonely thing, but it doesn't have to be that way. It can be incredibly like, it's a partnership. It can be a team. Yeah. And be these things like we, you know, I, I had a speaker at one at my recent uh, FinTech is Femme event and she talked about idolizing individuals and how we maybe need to like get away from that. I think especially as like FinTech founders and in the space, we could shed that a little bit and think about, I love when folks talk about the partnerships because we need to talk about that more. And it's not just one person. Probably the most consistent piece of advice I, I give to other founders who haven't already kind of established this is for your point, being a founder is such a lonely job, right? Mm-hmm. Especially if you're in the CEO seat because you can't give everything to your team, right? There's always some element of having to have some element of it on your end. You're basically managing in every direction, I think is a better way to frame it, right? Like you're managing up with your board, you're managing down with your team, you're managing side by side with customers and partners and what have you. And so to be able to have a, like oftentimes it's, that it's an advisor or an angel investor who has skin in the game and wants to succeed, but is there first and foremost because they believe in you and you find that person. And I I feel like every founder that I know um, that I really respect has at least one or two of these people that are just like, like they're close confidants who are going to be with them through thick and thin, who are always going to be there to support them. Those are the folks you can go to when, you know, the times get really tough and you just need someone who's just going to listen and you can vent to that can give you advice and counsel, but also just, just be like, look, like, especially people who are former founders like you just get it right there's just like this 
I hate to frame it this way, but it's honestly pretty true. It's like kind of like bonding through shared trauma, right? Yeah. <laughs> like it's just so hard that like someone else who's been through the same journey before is just like, I get it. I totally get it. In fact, you think that's bad. Let me tell you what happened when I like, like with me in this example, it makes you just feel better because it makes you feel like you're less alone. And, and none of these problems are always like new problems, right? Like they're always like, the same problem just in a different context or with different people mm-hmm. um and so it feels like, like oh like this is like these are not like new problems that never had never been solved before it's just like you're going through it right now so it feels really bad in the moment sometimes the things even that i say or what is said even on on this show like it's nothing groundbreaking this is, these are not new concepts these are simply just things that no one has ever talked about or no one has ever said and i mean you're exactly right everything that even the content that I'm building is I'm building it with people that do have very similar shared traumas in the media space uh, as me. So that is why we have so many of the same, you know, goals, even though our strengths and characteristics are different or why we can reach certain things because we ultimately have, you know, experienced what being treated poorly is like. And then, and, but we know what it takes to, for that to not have to happen to anyone else. And that's another thing that I love about, the millennial generation getting older and and then Gen Zers coming in too is like Gen Z is like not standing for that, especially in the workforce. Like they're not standing for any like the arbitrary uh, hierarchies or like treating people bad and and all that stuff. So, and I think that we millennials are finally maybe getting to a place where we're like, maybe we don't need to pass down that work trauma to others. (laughs) Like maybe we can just treat people uh, kind and, and their personal matters can be talked about and, and all of these things. So anyways, that's kind of what that makes me think of. And that's, what's also really cool about the FinTech space and even things like you're building, right? Like the exciting part about data and technology is that it's mature enough that it just takes someone like yourself and your co-founders to be intentional enough to say, Hey, let's use it in this way. Cause no one else thought of it. So it's like being super intentional, having the right people right around you, the right mentors, having your mentor be your partner. You know, these are like, all of the things that I feel like create the right formula to have that long-term success like Pinwheel will definitely have. The thing that I wish I had known earlier was I think not only the journey of founding a company, but frankly, life in general, it's just, it's really about finding your tribe. And if you can't find it, then building your tribe. Like they, they always say like you are what like the you are the average of the five people that you're closest with. And so when you find those folks that challenge you, excite you, like bring the best out of you, your life meaningfully changes, right? The the trajectory that you're on meaningfully changes. And I think back to the folks that I like grew up with and the folks that I like, you know, were friends with in college and the people that I spend the bulk of my time with now. And it makes me realize just how true that really is and how those people form and shape your experiences. And I think like that's one of the things that I so deeply appreciate about the, the tribe that I've built today in terms of both like fintech folks and just like fellow operators. I just, every time I talk to someone, I get a bunch of new ideas or I just walk away from the conversation feeling invigorated. Like, oh man, like, they're yeah. building, I'm building, like we're all building. Like, it's like the world is going to be so much better. Like if we all succeed in what we do. I know. Isn't that a crazy concept? But like it is, but it's once again, not entirely groundbreaking or earth shattering, but like 
no one's just people haven't been doing it or not enough people have been doing it. And so, yeah, it makes me think how even like I feel maybe the the culture shift also is like before and some people kind of were like this, right? They just follow people with a lot of money or follow the billionaires or follow like, oh, I want to be like whoever has the most money today. Who's the richest person today? Or you surround yourself with other people that have a lot of money or things and that and that is just like not even I feel like that culture shift is is there is now is here now too where that's not the priority it's who is gonna build something great with me who's got the same values if I lay them down on a piece of paper and but like different strengths to cater to my weaknesses and and all of that good stuff so as you were saying that I was I was thinking how you know cool it is that we're seeing that shift as well and that's money, you know, that's happening in money in general. You know, it's not just money is something that you have that forms your identity. It's something that can be a, more of a tool so that you can have the identity and values that you want to showcase to the world and, and resonate with you. And um, and that's what's cool, right? Like something what your product does, right, can, can help someone get to that level so that they don't have to be put into a box just because a traditional way of deciding if someone's worthy of something um, has put them down like your dad. So that is really, really cool. Are your parents, do your parents get what you do? Are they proud? Do they understand? <laughs> Dangerous or they question still like, to ask uh, a fellow Asian American. Uh, <laughs> or are they still like, I, why aren't you a doctor yet, son? <laughs> yeah. Well, especially because uh, my dad is a doctor. Oh Maybe gosh. It makes it extra. Yeah. It makes it extra oh, spicy yeah. of a question. <laughs> They don't entirely get what it is that we are building, uh, even though I've tried to explain it in a lot of different ways. And, and I, I feel like <laughs> the best way to explain fintech infrastructure to lay people is just like through metaphors. I've used a number of metaphors to kind of like, like we're like kind of like pipes. And he's like, what do you mean pipes? Like, are you, are you a plumber? And I'm like, I mean, yes. in a weird way, yes. kind of, right? Like. We're making sure that it's instead of water flowing, it's data flowing. And he was like, okay. And, like, and I feel like he probably has enough of understanding, but he could he certainly couldn't like ever pitch or pipe somebody else, uh, which I guess is means that he doesn't understand it well enough. But um, <laughs> I do think he is uh, not only proud, but also I've told him that the uh, a big impetus for the for the starting of Pinwheel was you know seeing his struggles assimilating into this country and how we really feel like the data that we're unlocking can actually help those folks actually bridge that gap. And so I feel like from that perspective, like the fact that he knows that he's a part of this journey, even though he's not necessarily like the day to day, makes him really happy. And so I think that's, that's all you can ask for. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's fun. Cause I, like my mom, especially my dad like used to work in finance and, and still does actually. But my mom is the one that kind of, she's like, oh, you left like a traditional publication and like go do this thing. And she'll understand it if I'm like on NASDAQ and then she's like, oh, NASDAQ, yes, I understand. But like, she doesn't always <laughs> understand, the, you know, but like she doesn't always, or like if I'm on YouTube, she's like, you're on the YouTube. Like, but she doesn't always understand like the newsletter or like some of the, some of the things but anyways, that's that's kind of why I ask because there's there's moments where it, like it clicks, and sometimes I gotta like bring her back in, and she like she'll kind of reel back. But anyways, but that's fun because that's always that's always a thing, right? Like, hi mom and dad, I'm gonna like stop doing this traditional thing, and I'm gonna do this other thing that I'm gonna like build from scratch, 
I'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Like <laughs> they're definitely really like worried about me and I'm sure, sure yours were too, but that's, that's cool though, you know, to have like that, that origin story. Cause that's where a lot of mine falls too. And then I have to be like, but mom, dad, I'm very proud of like who I am and I'm very proud of all the experiences and I'm proud of even the trauma and all of, all of the things. Cause it made me who, who I am today. And so how, that's, that's the other part of like getting mom and dad on board is letting them yeah, know like, totally. yeah, it's all about all of the experiences. If we need to be the change that we want to see, what change do you want to see in fintech and how will you embody it? I really feel like every person in some way, shape or form tries to tie in the fact that they are actually helping consumers or like uh, improving the financial system in some way. Like everyone is like, oh, we're all about financial inclusion or we improve outcomes or whatever. And it's just like, do you actually, right? Like, can you actually show me the, the data that actually like proves that out? And I, I wish like the whole industry as a whole, like it is okay. It is truly actually okay. If what you are building is just like a B2B solution that is like helping a FinTech or something or another other company, like be more efficient or save money or increase revenue. That's okay. But if you're going to, plaster this mission on top of it right then like you really have to live up to that and right. one of the things that i just like wish where people were just like more honest about the fact that like if you are just a business that is like oh we help like increase the efficiency of like processing trades okay great that's a great business they probably make a lot of money and like then you can take that money and go like enact like societal change that's great but like don't <laughs> don't like put your company mission as like oh we you know democratize x i'm like do you do you really though so well said and you embody it every day by, you know, actually working on something that is that. I feel like you don't even, you know, we haven't even until this question, right? We haven't even necessarily said like the words financial inclusion. I don't think we did because, you know, we don't have to because we don't have to all the, all the time, like some companies that do. Right. Um, and that's even even with my content, I'm always trying to inform people that it isn't about this isn't a diversity, equity, and inclusion platform. This is a fintech, you know, uh, news, insight, content analysis platform in a fun and entertaining way uh, where it just ha so happens to be coming from a different lens. And that's what it is. So, you know, it, like if you want to build your company and do it in, through your lens and what works best for you and it doesn't, yeah, you're right. Like it doesn't always have to be like so aligned with like fintech's, I guess, original mission. If, if you're doing something else, then just do you. But yeah, it does kind of like sometimes it almost like creates more noise for the companies out there that are actually working on something that helps people that are underserved. Um, That's right. So it would be helpful. All right. This is a PSA for anyone listening. <laughs> Whose company doesn't actually do that? Would you just chill and uh, and leave some space for, for the ones that actually are? Oh, my gosh. I love that. Well said. All right. So then... Who is one person in fintech that we should follow who you think is positively shaping the future of our industry? I will name one. They were the other person I was going to mention, if not Curtis, on um, the person who's been most influential and helped uh, really feel like belonging in the industry. So we have a, I guess now I can call him my friend. There's a guy named Ayo uh, Amojola who helped build the banking product at Cash App. And 
I think is fairly well known in the fintech uh, industry. And every time I, first of all, when I was pitching the idea to uh, of Pinwheel to him early on, he was like, stop. Like within the first like 30 seconds, he was like, stop, 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 stop. I, I, I get it. Like, like, this is a problem that like we're trying to solve my like, cash app. Like, you didn't tell, I, it's like, and they started just rapid firing questions. Right. Like, Did you think about this? You think about that? Like, have you considered this? And I was like, oh my God, this guy's not about this problem more than I am. Um, <laughs> and, and that's just kind of the, the way he is in terms of like, every time we talk, it's just like, well, like, how do we take this like five, 10 steps further? Like, mm-hmm. how do we take this data and like build this 10x version of it that maybe we won't, we won't get to in the next year or two, but like, is ultimately where you want to go? And like, think, like, imagine a role if we could do X or Y. And he is just like such a, a future forward visionary um, in terms of like the, the products that can be built, not only with our data, but frankly, just like all the other pieces of data infrastructure that exists and putting them all together and weaving them into a tapestry that will build an exponentially better system and, and, a, and a more equitable financial system as well. So Ayo is definitely one of those people that I really respect and, and look up to. The other uh, person I'll actually highlight as well is um, one of our very first customers is a company called Perpay um, that does something really interesting, which is they took the construct of buy now, pay later but they applied it specifically to people who are with FICO scores of 550 and below. And they were able to basically show that by having the person opt into connecting their direct deposit or paycheck account with Perpay, they could both meaningfully increase repayment rates and reduce the risk for themselves as a lender, but more importantly, then in turn be able to give these folks, especially those who are, you know, significantly underserved, like if you have a FICO of 550, no one's giving you an intro credit product, yeah. right? And so they can actually help them be able to afford a pair of headphones or mm-hmm. a refrigerator or a microwave or whatever, um, and do so in a very non-predatory way. And the moment I saw what they were doing, I was like, we have to work with these folks. This is such a like cool thing to be able to okay. help. And uh, Chris, who's the, the one of the co-founders and the CEO of the business, they built an exceptional business and something that I'm, I, I'm excited to work with them every day as well. So usually my last question, I ask, you know, what can we expect from, from you and Pinwheel and what can we expect from you next? But I kind of want to ask you what your favorite Kanye album is. So if you wanted to try to hit me with both, feel free. <laughs> Cause now uh, I love challenges and I accept, <laughs> um, this is actually really hard. And I've actually had this debate with my friends. Because I grew up on like college dropout and late registration, mm-hmm. like the OG right. stuff, I would say, I would say late registration is probably my favorite. I can sing every song on the album word for word, like front to back the entire album, which I don't, that's either it means that I have incredible memory or it means that I listened to probably well over like a few thousand hours of, of that album uh, throughout <laughs> my life. I do think, artistically speaking, my dark, beautiful, twisted fantasy is probably the like pinnacle of his work. But my favorite decision is still my favorite. And then, what to expect? So yeah. the thing that we're most looking forward to is this concept of earned wage access has been floating in the ecosystem for a very long time, but it's always been done in an incomplete way. So there's either people who are going to employers like 
So you're going to a Walmart and saying, hey, give us all your data around your employees, and then we'll be able to you know, give them their paycheck day of after they finish working their shift. Uh, but that's not scalable because you have to go employer by employer. You can never get the kind of volume you really need to build a, a, a good business. Or you go the other direction where you are trying to go direct to consumers, but you don't have enough data to actually be able to like really with high confidence and low risk, be able to give someone their paycheck the day of. What we're able to do for the first time ever is we connect with time and attendance systems. So we actually get real time information about when someone has like clocked in and clocked out of their shift at Chipotle. We also connect directly with their payroll system. So we know like how much you're going to get paid, when, when it's going to hit and have guaranteed visibility into that. And we have access to their direct deposit when they actually do get paid in, you know, two weeks or a month later, we can guarantee repayment by taking payment out of the, the, out of the paycheck. When you put those three things together, you have true earned wage access as a feature. Mm-hmm. And so we've been rolling this out with some of the biggest players in the space, which we're excited to share in the coming months. And we're excited to kind of be that kind of benchmark feature for everyone in the ecosystem. Ooh, yeah. Okay. That's some fire. <laughs> Woo. He answered. I know I'm my, my head of audio is going to be like, Nicole, why are you asking him two questions at once? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like it. It, or- it was organic. I just wanted to know. Anyway, amazing answer to both. I'm going to leave it there because you dropped the fire. So perfect way to close it out. Kurt, thank you so much for joining the show. Awesome to have you on and excited for everyone to tune into this. And I'll mostly just label this as a deep insight into Kanye's discography. It should be good. (laughs) Uh, My my PR team is going to love that. So please do. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Nicole. This was a blast. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. To hear our next story from another diverse leader, be sure to tune in next week. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to our show and give it a five-star rating as it helps our message reach more people who want to find a sense of belonging too.